You're listening to Prevailing Word Ministries on the Prevailing Word Podcast channel. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening. Today's message is the parable of the sower. Let's get right into today's message. Please open up your Bibles, if you will, to the book of Matthew, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. Matthew, chapter 13, beginning at verse 1. And uh, we will be discussing the parable of the sower. The parable of the sower. Matthew, chapter uh, 13, beginning at uh, verse 1. On the same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the sea, and great multitudes were gathered together to him, so that he got into a boat and sat, and the whole multitude stood on the shore. Then he spoke many things to them in parables, saying, Behold, a sower went out to sow, and as he sowed, some sowed seed uh, some seed rather, fell by the wayside, and the birds came and devoured them. Some fell on stony places where they did not have much earth. And they immediately sprang up because they had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, they were scorched. And because they had no root, they withered away. And Some fell among thorns and the thorns sprang up and choked them. But the others fell on good ground and yielded a crop some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. He who has ears to hear, let him hear. Father, we thank you for your word today, that that your word tells us that all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may uh, be thoroughly furnished or equipped unto every good work. Father, we thank you that the word of God is alive and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder of soul and spirit, the joints and marrow, and as a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. We thank you, Lord, that the word of God is pure and and every word of God is pure, and you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. Father, we thank you that the entrance of your word gives light, it gives understanding to the simple. We thank you, Lord, that every word of God is pure and you are a shield to those who put their trust in you. Father, we also thank you that you desire truth in the inner part and in the hidden part. You will make us to know wisdom. These these things we thank you for in Jesus name. Amen. The parable of the sower is one of those parables that uh, the Lord spoke of as part of his Commands. Remember what Jesus said in the book of Matthew, chapter 28, and uh, verses uh, 19 and 20. And he said, Make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe what things I've commanded you. And lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age of the world. Amen. And so the parable of the sower serves as one of the commands that Jesus taught that he told or commanded his disciples to teach others. And so all through the course of time and through the course of, of the, uh, the, the church, uh, we see that the parable of the sower and many other teachings in the three synoptic gospels and the gospel of John uh, is the commands, uh, the commands that, the, that the Lord Jesus spoke of that ought to be taught to believers. The parable of the sower is one of those commands as I have pointed out. Now, the best way that we can get a a uh, well-rounded understanding of the uh, parable of the sower is by going to the two other places where the parable of the sower is taught. And so we're going to read the rest of this in the book of Matthew chapter 13, plus what uh, Jesus expounded when the disciples asked him a question, and you're going to see variations of the teaching. Now, many people have said, well, that's a contradiction. And no, if you don't know anything about uh, the teaching of the scriptures, uh, you have to understand that uh, Matthew was an eyewitness. Mark and Luke were not eyewitnesses, and they received the gospel by inspiration of the Holy Spirit. Now, remember what it says in the book of uh, 2 
Peter uh, chapter two, I believe, where where it says that that all scripture that that script there is no scripture that is of any private interpretation. Uh, and, and so uh, when whenever you're dealing with private interpretation, you're dealing with uh, a narrative or a reading in between the line in terms of what people want to say about scripture that doesn't coincide with the harmonious or contextual teachings of the scripture. Uh, uh, because the scriptures was given by inspiration of the spirit of God, as Paul told us in the book of second Timothy chapter three, verse 16. But when Peter said in, in second Peter chapter uh, two, what are you saying that no scripture is of any private interpretation, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy spirit. And so when the, the prophets in the, in the New Testament at the beginning of the scriptures, when they were speaking the scriptures or speaking the word from God, it was from the spirit of God, the inspiration of God. And, and so uh, no scriptures given of any private interpretation. So when you see different variations of the gospel in terms of, of what Matthew may have presented and also in terms of what Mark and Luke have pre- presented, we have to understand that Matthew was an eyewitness and Mark and Luke were not eyewitnesses, but they all receive, all three of them receive these scriptures uh, by the spirit of the living God. And, and so we can uh, put trust in the, in the word of God because there is only one spirit. And just like uh, you see in the book of First uh, John uh, chapter 2, when, when John says that, that uh, the same spirit teaches us. And, and so the same spirit is going to teach uh, the word of God but when you come to the variations of the scriptures, well, it's coming from the spirit of God through individuals that were inspired of the spirit of God. And so we now see a well-rounded picture of what Jesus has speaking. So he didn't leave anything out. Everything is included in terms of what Jesus said. The Holy Spirit just used three different individuals, one eyewitness and two other non-eyewitnesses to bring credibility to to everything that the Lord Jesus had said. So now we already read verses uh, one through three in uh, uh, one through nine, rather one through nine in terms of the parable of the sower in Matthew chapter 13, verse nine. But now we're going to go down into verse 18. Therefore, hear the parable of the sower. Now, uh, what I want to do before I go into reading the expounding of the parable that Jesus gave uh, uh, to uh, to those that ask, let's look at the word parable. You will see the definition uh, of the Greek word parabole, which is spelled P-A-R-A-B-O-L-E. And it means a similitude, uh, a parable that is, i.e. that is symbolic, think, uh, fictitious narrative of common life conveying a moral apothem or adage, a comparison, figure, a parable, or a proverb. A further expounding of this definition says, a placing of one thing by the side of another, a juxtaposition as of ships in battle. Metaphorically, it also means a comparing, comparison of one thing with another, likeness, similitude. An example by which a doctrine or precept is illustrated, a narrative fictitious, but agreeable to the laws and usages of human life. Uh, I just pulled up a, I wish they wouldn't do this, but that's the way they do it. Anyway, uh, uh, by which either the duties of men or things of God, particularly the nature and history of God's kingdom are figuratively portrayed. A parable, an earthly story with a heavenly meaning, a pithy and instructive saying involving some likeness or comparison and having a preceptive or admonitory force, an aphorism, a maxim, a proverb, an act by which one exposes himself or his possessions to danger, adventure, or risk. So, so now you know the expounding of the entire definition. If we were to look of, of the word parable, if we were to look into uh, Vine's expository dictionary of New Testament words, it also means a casting or placing side by side. So when we see para, it means beside, and when we see 
a ballo, which is a uh, bole, which is spelled B-O-L-E, it means to throw. So you're throwing beside one thing into uh, explain another. So that's what it is. You're comparison. You're using an earthly definition to convey or to reveal a spiritual meaning. So it means a view with uh, a, with a view to comparison or resemblance. A parable is translated figure. And so there are different different variations of this different de definition, but the actual Greek word definition you do get the uh, just an, an understanding. So that's what a parable is. A parable is just putting one thing explaining another. So uh, in reading uh, the word parable, therefore, in, back in verse 18 of uh, Matthew chapter 13, therefore hear the parable of the sower. When anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in, in his heart. So if you were to go back up to, to verse one, where he started the parable, you'll see that there were birds that were hanging around. And when the seed was sown, the birds came and immediately took the seed. So Jesus explained what that was by saying that when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, you mean there are, there, there, that there are people that do not understand the scriptures? Absolutely. There are some people that just don't get it. There are other individuals that, for whatever reason, do not want to get it because they know that if they do get it, that they have to obey the scripture. And so you have those individuals that hear the word of God and don't understand it, or these those individuals that either don't want to understand it or they just don't understand it for whatever reason, for whatever additional reason. Because why? There is one aspect of this that people, once they hear it, they now have to be held to account. So uh, when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. But see, notice what's happening here. The, the bird is waiting for you. The bird meaning the analogy of Satan. Satan is waiting for you to to either grasp the understanding of it or simply reject understanding of the scriptures. In other words, they don't want to understand it. He's waiting for you to make a decision. And so there are individuals that are on the wayside and we'll get into the definition of what a wayside is. And some of you already know the definition, but it's good to go back over it. But nonetheless, we see that Satan is waiting for you to either grasp the understanding of it or simply don't understand it. And when you just don't want to understand it, he just comes in and, and immediately snatches the word out. So, so now the, the middle portion of verse 19 says, then the wicked one comes and snatches away what was sown in his heart. This is he who received seed by the wayside. But he who, uh, so the ones that are on the wayside, he, and here's the definition of the, of the word wayside. It is the Greek word hodos, or hudos, however you want to pronounce it, H-O-D-O-S, and it means a road. And by implication, a progress, the root or act, or root, act or distance, figuratively, a mode or means, a journey. But if you go further down, you will see that it also means uh a traveled way, road, a traveler's way, journey, traveling. And metaphorically, it means a course of conduct, a way, the manner of thinking, feeling, or deciding. So we have individuals that are standing around on the wayside, the, the roadside. Uh, and and, and th in other words, they don't venture in further. They are on the outer fringe of the good ground. And so we do have these individuals that do attend church, whether on Zoom or they they walk into a building and whether they sit in the back, the middle or the front, doesn't matter where you sit or in the, even in the choir loft. You could sit anywhere in a building and you could still be on the wayside just because you're sitting in the back doesn't mean that you're sitting in the wayside. But it, as far as the heart is concerned. You could be in the back, the middle, the front, or in the choir stand, or on the stage, and your heart can be on the wayside. So whenever you're dealing with individuals, Jesus is revealing the heart of the individual. 
So the persons that are standing on the wayside are the ones that the, the I mean, that's easy pickings for birds because birds don't want to go deep into some birds don't want to go deep into where the if they can get an easy meal, it's on the wayside. So he, they, the birds know that the seed is going to fall on the wayside. But it also gives us an illustration of the fact that no one is to be left without the word. Jesus, the Lord Jesus doesn't care where you stand as far as the wayside, the, the, the stony ground, the thorny ground or the good ground. He doesn't he's going to give you seed regardless of where you stand. So that way you can you could never accuse him of saying, well, Lord, you never told me the word. Lord, you never gave me the word. But see, you will be without excuse because wherever you stand is where the word is going to come. And he doesn't he doesn't uh, uh, give you an excuse. So you have to understand that's the way that the Lord works. All right. So now that we understand that part of the wayside, now let's go into uh, verse 20 of this. But he who received the seed on stony places, this is he who hears the word. Now, no, now notice that the ones on the wayside heard the word, but also the ones that are on stony ground or stony places heard the word. So you can't say that I didn't hear the word. Yes, you heard the word. You heard the word. So, uh, but uh, he who receives the seed on stony places this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Now, you know that there are some individuals that come to church and they like to hear a good word and they get excited. They feel joyful and say, wow, this is amazing. And, and, and so uh, emotions play no fashion as far as receiving the word. The Lord doesn't care about your emotions in terms of how you receive the word of God. What he cares about is your response in terms of obedience to the word of God. So so as far as pastors and people are concerned, I, I know I get it. Uh, some people's emotions do run. But 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 if you're really a, a, a true student of the word, you don't care about people's emotions because see, at the end of the day, people may come forward. People may sit around. People may cry. People may be joyful. People may jump, holler, scream, shout, whatever. But the preacher, the true preacher of the word of God, we don't care about your emotions. Your emotions play very little in terms of, of what what's happening here. The only thing that that the preacher is responsible for is delivering the word of God. How you respond to it in terms of your emotions doesn't move me. And it shouldn't move any true preacher of the living God, because we know that at the, at the end of the day, some people will fall in line and obey the scriptures and at the end of the day, some people just won't get it. We that's that's the way it is. I mean, there, there's nothing that we can do about it. Our job is just to deliver the word of God. So uh, these individuals, they receive the word with joy. Notice again, it says they this is he who hears the word and immediately receives it with joy. Glad to hear. And and, and 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 whenever you have you, you got to just love it the way people respond to the word of God. I mean, a good word, preacher. That was a great word, preacher. Uh, preacher, I enjoyed that. Oh, wait a minute. If, if a true preacher of the, of the gospel of Jesus Christ would give a word that convicts, are you going to enjoy the chastening of the Lord that way? Look, you no one enjoyed when mom beat you. No one. When mom beats you, the only emotion that you're, you're giving, if she beats you good, that is, is that you're crying. You are in tears. Why? Because she inflicted pain on your behind and you feel it. You felt it and you are crying tears. You're not laughing. I mean, very few would just stand up and say, ha, ha, ha. That didn't hurt me. Oh, no. And and see, the, the parent will 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 say what? <laughs> that didn't hurt you. And then commence to just. Just do whatever that is necessary to inflict pain to turn that child's laughter into tears. But so, so a parent shouldn't be moved by emotions, but inflict chastisement as necessary, reasonable chastisement. And so uh, 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 people receive the word with joy. And, and so the true preacher doesn't doesn't move. Now, I was watching um, a preacher give the word of God and he gave such chastisement that the that the people in the audience, they started clapping. They just clapping. And, and he and he stood there with a straight face and he said, 
I'm talking about you. I'm talking to you. You people are not receiving the word. You're not receiving the chastisement. You're applauding. And he doesn't want any applause. Those people weren't weren't moved by the conviction that the spirit of God gave with the word of God. They weren't moved at all. They weren't bothered by it. They just applaud and clap. And that's a normal human response to when we heard something that is nice. But 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 see, he was given the word with such conviction. He was like saying to them, why are you clapping? You shouldn't be clapping. And in essence, they really should have been in tears about the conviction of the word of God. They should have been hurt in, in the heart about what was delivered to them because the accusation of the word of God came in, in and the conviction of the word of God came and what it should have done it, it they all should have sat in silence recognizing that the presence of God was in the place to convict the people of their sin as, as far as the word of God is concerned. And, and so he had to correct them. And after he said what he said, there were no more applause. Nobody applauded after that. And, and so the house of worship has turned into a place of entertainment where we applaud, where we clap our hands when we hear a word from uh, the word of God and, and, and it ought to have brought conviction, but you clap towards it or clap and applause to it. No, 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 folks. The spirit of God is trying to get over to you that this is a very serious and solemn moment. And so we have to turn the house of God from a place of entertainment back to where the, the, the conviction of the word of God is there, where it, it smites the heart. It, it strikes the heart. I mean, just like when David was in the cave with Saul and he and he took his sword and cut off a piece of his robe or, or his skirt or whatever. And, and, and his and David's heart smote him because the Bible is clear about uh, attacking a king that God has anointed. And, and, and so David was struck to his heart because he had done that. And so when the word of God comes in such conviction, with such such powerful conviction, because, see, that's an answer to to what uh, the Lord Jesus said in the book of John, chapter 16 and, and verse eight, that the spirit of God, when he comes, he will convict the world of sin. And, and when there is no conviction of the word of the living God and you're applauding toward the word of God, that is an improper response. You have no business applauding the word of God. You need to just sit there and receive the word of God and be prepared to obey the word of God after it's been delivered. And so we have to stop entertaining ourselves and stop sitting in the place and being entertained in the house of God when we need to be uh, strict in terms of our discipline and in terms of receiving the word of God. If the Lord is talking to you, he's not talking to anybody else. And when the Lord is talking to you, you need to just sit there and not be entertained by the word of God, but simply receive the word of God and then make provision to obey the word of God once service or, or the preaching of the word is over. With. So this person received the word with joy. He receives it with joy. But guess what happens? Yet he has no root in himself. He has no root in himself but endures only for a while. In other words, he just hangs in there just for a little while. For when, for this is what happens. For when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word, immediately he stumbles. Now look at this word stumbles. And I found this very interesting when I looked up the word uh, stumbles. And is the, it is the Greek word uh, scandalizo, which is spelled S-K-A-N-D-A-L-I. I Z O. And this is where we get the word scandal from. And so when the person uh, stumbles, well, a scandal took place, evidently. But, but we all know the difference between, between this definition and the, the uh, normal definition that we would find the, in the dictionary about a scandal. Uh, but here it means to uh, entrap, to trip up, uh, or entice to sin, or apostasy or to offend, make to offend, displeasure. And so when an individual stumbles, they are enticed to sin. But look at what Jesus said here in terms of what happens when tribulation or persecution arises because of the word. And this is the, the part where you, know, you come into Christ and then all of a sudden you're experiencing trouble in your life. 
You're experiencing trouble by your family members. You're experiencing trouble by your friends. In other words, you're not so friendly with them anymore now that you come into Christ. And this is what happens when when you come actually come into Christ. You're going to be persecuted for the word's sake. You're going to be troubled for the word's sake. In other words, what people are going to do, the, the people that were once with you are now against you simply because of the word. And so what comes to mind when this happens is that, wait a minute, before I came into Christ, nothing was happening. My friends loved me. They adored me. We had a great time. I, I wasn't receiving any persecution. And then you come to think about, it, wait a minute, I didn't come in. I didn't sign up for this. I did not come into Christ for this, for this. And so guess what? They stumble. In other words, they, and they are entrapped. They fall. And, and so they move away from the gospel because now they see that their friends and their family are more important than God. And that's when you see the book of Matthew chapter 10 comes into play where Jesus said that a, that a man's enemy will be those of his own household. And you can't love mother or father or sister or brother or anybody more than the Lord Jesus Christ. You have to love them less when you're in Christ. The Lord Jesus did not say to to not love them and to hate them or to despise them or to do evil to them. No, he's not saying that. He's saying that you have to love them less. In other words, they are prioritized as less important because once you come into the Lord, the only thing that matters is pleasing the Lord. Now, remember what Jesus uh, taught in the book of Matthew, chapter 22. Uh, when he said that you shall love, they asked Jesus a question. They said, what is the greatest commandment of, of all? And Jesus said that you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. They, on these hang the, all the law and the prophets. These are the two commandments where the hanging of all the rest of the law are, are found upon. And so we have to understand that we have to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind and with all of our strength. And, but, and, and then here's the priority, which confirms this. We are to love our neighbor as ourselves. So now we see the priority. So 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 here we see that trouble and persecution is going to come when you come into Christ. And some people will say, well, I didn't sign up for this. I did not come into Christ for this. But yes, you did. Because now you're displaying that you love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and you and you still love your neighbor as yourself, but now the priority changes. The priority is no longer family, friends first. The priority now is the Lord first, then my family and friends and everybody else. Love them less, love God more. All right, so persecution comes, and tribulation rather, which is trouble, uh, and persecution arises because of the word. Immediately he stumbles. Now he who receives seed among thorns is he who hears the word and, and the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. So now we see the three grounds, wayside, stony, now the thorny ground. The thorns are the ones that chokes the word of God. So those that hear the word of God, uh, the word comes in uh, your heart, but the thorns come. And what are the thorns? There are uh, three things. And when we see the variations of, of the uh, parable, uh, you'll see the three things. But it's, it's differentiated here in the book of Matthew chapter uh, 13. And the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches choke the word and he becomes unfruitful. Very powerful point here. Because see, what, what the cares of this world is, is basically when you read Matthew chapter 6, where you see that the Gentiles only cared about three things. Eating, drinking, and what kind of clothes you're going to put on. Those are the cares of this world. The cares that the world always care about. And now, now is, is it is it right still for us to be concerned about eating and drinking and putting on clothes? Absolutely. But it is not the only thing that we ought to be concerned about. The thing that we have to be more concerned about is the righteousness that God gives us through his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. And so it's it's very important that we understand this now. Uh, uh, I'm, 
uh, let's see if we can go down here into to my notes and if it will allow me because you know pro Murphy's law all right so so here in in uh, as far as uh, the the book of uh, Matthew chapter 6 is concerned the cares riches and pleasures of this life we got to understand something about the cares of this life here in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 24 it says no one can serve two masters for either he will hate the one and love the other, or else he will be loyal to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and mammon. You just can't. You can't serve God and mammon. It's just impossible for you to do that. Here in the book of uh, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25 continues on and says, Therefore I say to you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body. What you will put on is not life more than food and the body more than clothing. Now, the life that Jesus is speaking of is, of, of course, it, it does carry over into everyday life. But when he's speaking about the life of God on the inside of you, talking about eternal life. But but here, the, the, the word life here is defined as a psyche, which is spelled P-S-Y-C-H-E, which also means breath. So isn't your life more important than uh, what you will eat and what you will drink and, and what you will put on your body? And, and so Jesus continues and says, look at the birds of the air, for they neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? Which of you by worrying can add one cubit to his stature? So why do you worry about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. And yet I say to you that even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. Now, if God so clothed the grass of the field, which is today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O ye of little faith? In other words, you can trust God. You can put your faith and trust in God, but see when the cares and riches and pleasures of this life overwhelm you and you depart from the faith as a result of that, then really it's the thorns attacking you because of the word that is within you. Therefore do not worry, verse 31 uh, Jesus continues, therefore do not worry saying what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? For after all these things the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly father knows that you need all these things. The Lord knows that you need these things. He, he's not blind to what you need. But the Lord says this is what's more important. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things will be added to you. What what all the, all these things will be added to you? He didn't say anything about house. He didn't say anything about car. He didn't say anything about money. He said what you eat, what you uh, drink, and what you put on. All these things. That's what the things that Jesus is referring to. So if you're trying to add anything to that, you do have Proverbs 30 and verse 6 uh, looking at you. Do not add to his words, lest he rebuke you and you be found a liar. Jesus said what you eat, what you drink and what you put on. These things are the things that Jesus is referring to that will be added. So but but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these things shall be added to you. Therefore, do not worry about tomorrow for tomorrow will worry about its own things. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. So don't borrow tomorrow's troubles for, uh, for today. In other words, what's going to happen tomorrow, it's going to happen tomorrow. Be about what's going to happen today and put your full trust and faith and confidence to provide what you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, what you're going to put on, all these things the Lord will add to you. If you seek first, the kingdom of God and his righteousness. So the cares of this world and the deceitfulness of riches, in other words, the deceptive aspects of riches, the word uh, deceitfulness is the Greek word apot, apot, which is spelled or apate, depending on how you pronounce it, A-P-A-T-E, and it means delusion, deceivableness. 
So the riches are, are delusional because, see, the rich, they depend upon their riches because that's what they trust in the most. But you see, if you trust in those riches alone, it's going to come uh, there's going to come a time and day where trouble will come and take everything away from you. Listen to this in First Timothy chapter uh, six and verse five. Unless rang, uh, rather useless wranglings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of gain. In other words, we don't live righteous just to gain anything. We live righteous because that's what we're supposed to do as children of the Most High God. Again, the Lord knows that we have need of all these things. So therefore, we can trust him to bring those things to us at the appropriate time that he sees fit. But see, we don't live godly. In other words, we don't live godly just to receive gain. We live godly because that's what a child of God is supposed to do. Now, remember what it says in the book of uh, Ephesians, chapter two, verses eight through ten. For by grace are you saved through faith and that not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. For we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus unto good works that God has prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so we are supposed to walk righteously, regardless of whether we receive anything or not. God knows that we have need of these things, so he will see to it that those needs will be met. But in the meantime, what we do is that we live righteously to, pre, to uh, live in righteousness to please the Lord. For those that are in the flesh cannot please God. And so if you're living in the flesh, you're not going to please God. If you're living in the spirit, you're going to please God. But not so that way he can release houses, cars, riches and things of that nature. So that way we could be blessed. No. We live righteous to please the Lord only. So uh, here in uh, 1 Timothy chapter 6, look at the bottom portion of uh, verse uh, verse 5. It says, who supposed that godliness is a means of gain? From such, withdraw yourself. Timothy, withdraw your, yourself from individuals that think that if they live godly, that it's a means of gain. That's not what godliness is for. Now, godliness with contentment is great gain. In other words, be content. Be content about what you have. Be content with who, what you have, and 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 so don't don't be discouraged of of of, of the fact that certain individuals have certain things and you don't. Be content with what you have. Why? Because verse six says, "Now godliness with contentment is great gain." Well, why is that? For we bought nothing into this world, and it is certain we can carry nothing out. And having food. And clothing, two things, two or three things that Jesus mentioned in Matthew chapter six. With these, we shall be content. But those who desire to be rich fall into temptation and a snare and into many foolish and harmful lusts, which drown men in destruction and perdition. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil for which some having strayed from the faith in their greediness and pierced themselves through with many sorrows. If we to go further down into verse 17 in first Timothy chapter six, command those who are rich in this present age to uh, in this present age, not to be haughty. In other words, puffed up or lifted up, nor to trust in uncertain riches. And what are uncertain riches, riches that are not certain. It's not a guarantee. In one blink of an eye, it could be taken away from you. It could be taken away from you by a storm. It could be taken away from you by the internet, by thieves on the internet. And that's what Jesus said, where thieves will steal and where moth does corrupt and destroy. It's very easy for somebody these days nowadays to take what's rightfully yours. It's very, very easy. All the safeguards that you put in place they can usually figure a way around it. And that's why there's it's ongoing security with things. And, and you have to watch uh, your, your possessions and things of that nature. But, but usually when thieves have figured out a way to get around it, they will, and they'll take it. Then what? So that's why they're called uncertain riches. God is certain. His word is certain, but riches, they're uncertain, nor to trust in uncertain riches, but in the living God 
who rich, who gives us richly all things to enjoy. In other words, God can restore the, in other words, God richly gives us those things, but also if the thief happens to come and take certain things, God can restore certain things. Uh, but he he restores it when he's uh, ready to restore it. He'll restore it over time. We see that with Job. Job was an individual in whom Satan has stolen many possessions from Job and even uh, attempted to, wanted to destroy his life, but God said, no, don't take his life. But he put boils on him. But you see, God always imposes the limitations. There's only but so much that the enemy can do. Uh, but but you see here, God does give us things richly to enjoy. That's the one thing that we have to see that it, he, it is here in Scripture. We can't deny this, but we're not to trust in them. We trust in the living God. Verse 18, let them do good that they be rich in good works, ready to give, willing to share, excuse me, storing up for themselves a good foundation for the time to come that they may lay hold on eternal life. So, so uh, don't trust in those riches. See, and, and that's what people are doing with the parable of the sower. These are the individuals that are standing around in thorns and they get choked with the deceitful riches of this life. So here in Proverbs chapter 11 and verse four, it says, riches do not profit in the day of wrath, but righteousness delivers from death. So what is the day of wrath? You know that tone, that moment when you know that you've disobeyed God and, and you show no signs of repentance, you show no signs of turning from your sin, and all of a sudden God pours out his, his wrath, your riches will not profit in that day. But guess what will profit in the day of wrath? But righteousness delivers from death. That's what's going to deliver. Look also in in the the 28th verse of uh, Proverbs 11. He who trusts in his riches will fall. You're trusting in them, you're going to fall. But the righteous will flourish like a foliage, a foliage rather. Uh, uh, so, so, So don't trust in riches. Then we have Proverbs chapter 23 and verse four. Do not overwork to be rich. Overtime, <laughs> over we've all worked overtime because we all want more. But have you ever noticed that when you work overtime, you 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 you're banking on that money? I see only one benefit for overtime for those of you that are in a a a, a job where you're you're at the end of the your your, uh, your job in terms of uh, uh, your pension is concerned. The only purpose of, of, of a good pension is perhaps those that, that large number that you worked hard for. But in terms of taking home anything, you, you worked hard in that overtime and you were expecting a lot of money and all of a sudden you see half your check gone. The federal government came in and swooped down and took whatever was theirs. The state and city, if you de- depending on where you work, takes theirs and you're looking at the check and it's almost as close to what you were normally making. And you're like scratching your head and saying, wait a minute, I worked all those hours and this is what I get. And you're saying, what happened? Well, the Bible says, do not overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease because of your own understanding cease. Now, again, I see only one benefit for for working all those hours, and that is in your pension, depending on your pension plan, because uh, certain pension plans allow you to work certain amount of hours and your gross, not your net, is is factored into the final uh, um, amount that you will get for your pension. So that's the only benefit that I see. But if you're looking for that paycheck that was so big and it's only slightly bigger than what you receive from your regular or normal check from last week. You're like saying, wait a minute, I worked all those hours. What happened? Well, taxes came, were taken out and the government took their unfair share. So, so, but here in Proverbs 23 and verse four, it says, uh, uh, do not overwork, overwork to be rich because of your own understanding cease. And then you have, uh, excuse me, Ecclesiastes uh, chapter five and verse 12. The sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much. But the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Well, why is it that because he's he's worried that somebody is going to take it all from him or take the most of it? I mean, like with your sports figure, I mean, they certain sports figures they trust in their financial uh, 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 director or financial person that's in charge of their finances. 
uh, to watch over and to, and to manage their finances because the individual that's in sports want to concentrate entirely on the sports and not have to worry about uh, the financial aspects. They want to make sure that all the taxes are taken out, that all the expenses are paid and so forth and so forth and so forth and so on. But then all of a sudden they, they, they begin to say, I'm, I'm a little uh, concerned about this. And they go into their account and they say, why is this amount taken out? And so they're worried about this and, and, and they get no sleep. They get no rest. They have millions of dollars, but they get no rest. Well, why is that here in verse 12 of Ecclesiastes chapter five, the sleep of a laboring man is sweet, whether he eats little or much, but the abundance of the rich will not permit him to sleep. Why? Because he's worried that somebody's going to take it. Then in the book of Ecclesiastes chapter nine, beginning at verse 10, whatever your hand finds to do, do it with your might. For there is no work or device or knowledge or wisdom in the grave where you are going. So that's very important for us to understand where you're going. You're not going to take it with you as we, as what we saw in the book of uh, first uh, Timothy chapter six, verse 11 here in Ecclesiastes chapter nine, I returned and saw under the sun that the race is not given to the swift, nor the battle to the strong, nor bread to the wise, nor riches uh, to uh, men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. Uh, so, so it's not given to those who are rich. Time, the race is not given to the swift, the battle not to the strong, the bread to the wise, nor riches to men of understanding, nor favor to men of skill, but time and chance happen to them all. For man does not know his time. In other words, you don't know when you're going to die like fish taken in a cruel net, like birds caught in a snare. So the sons of men are snared in an evil time when it falls suddenly upon them. So there's always that evil day that will come, that evil time that will come. And all of a sudden, all those riches that you depend upon, well, they're snatched away. Here in the book of Luke chapter 12 and verse 13, uh, the, then uh, one from the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the inheritance with me. But he said to him, man, who made me a judge or an arbitrator over you? And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness. And that's what you find in a word of faith circles, charismatic people and, and, and things that believe in prosperity. And, and the Bible does teach prosperity, no question about it. But that's not what we live on. That's not what we live for. That's not what we live by. Why? Because the evil day does come. Those unfortunate moments do come where you will be tested. Those unfortunate moments where your riches will be taken and the thieves come and, and, and moth and, 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 and moth comes and destroy and rust comes and destroy. And, and so we don't trust in any of those things, even though the Lord gives us all, all those things richly to enjoy. But we trust in the living God that when those things fail, we have trust in almighty God. God. So Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. So if you're all about possessions in, 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 in this Christian walk that we're supposed to be walking in, if that's all you're concerned. Well, the Bible is very clear. Covetousness is operating in your heart for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the, thing, of the things he possesses. Then he spoke a parable, a parable to them. Parable, remember the definition. Uh, the ground of a certain rich man yielded plentiful. And he thought within himself saying, what shall I do since I have no room to store my crops? So he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build greater. And there I will store all my crops and my goods. And I will say to my soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. But God said to him, fool, this night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will, who, then, uh, who will those things be which you have provided? So he's, so he, so is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. So who are we supposed to depend upon? We're supposed to depend upon the Lord. When those moments do come, the deceitfulness of riches, the deceptiveness of riches, the delusion of riches, when those things are taken away, you have the word to fall back on. You have the Lord to fall back on. 
here in the uh, the book of uh, Philippians chapter four and verse 10. But I rejoiced in the Lord greatly that now at last your care for me has flourished again, though you did, uh, though you surely did care, but you lacked opportunity. Not that I speak in regard to need, for I have learned in whatever state that state I am to be content. Regardless of what state I'm in to be content. I know how to be abased and I know how to abound. Everywhere in all things I have learned both to be full and to be hungry, both to abound and to suffer need. Now when we read verse 13, this is the only verse that some people quote. They don't read verses 5 through 13, just like 5 through 12, which we just read. They don't want to bother with those verses of Scripture because they don't want to be content. But you see, like I said it about uh, Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6, you can't teach Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 6 without teaching Hebrews chapter 11 and verse 5. Therefore, you can't teach about uh, uh, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 13 without teaching the previous scriptures that led into it. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. Well, if you can do all things through Christ through, through, uh, who, who strengthens you, uh, I'd like to see any of you become an astronaut. Uh, how's your math skills? Can you fix your car, your mechanic skills? Do you have do you have mechanics? Now, I understand that there are individuals that are, are duplicit, if you will, with skills like doctors and, and lawyers or doctors and congressmen or senators and things of that nature. They, they have a, a, a very good, strong mental brain that can handle the rigors of understanding those those things. But if you could do all things through Christ who strengthens you, well, why ha- why can't you be an umpire in a baseball game, or how ca- how can why or why aren't you a football or a baseball player at the same time? Now we know that Michael Jordan did that. He played football and baseball, but he quit basketball and uh, not football. He he quit basketball to play baseball. Uh, uh, same thing with Bo Jackson. Uh, he, he played he played uh, uh, a football and baseball. We can understand certain, certain individuals are gifted to do both things, but can you do all things through through Christ that strengthens me? And so that's an elasticity of Scripture where you think that you could do all things through Christ that strengthens you, but you can't. But here, Paul is mentioning the all things that he can do in regards to what he is uh, concerned about being abased. And what he's about being uh, when he abounds or have much. He can do all things through Christ, but it has parameters. It has parameters. And, and so we have to stay within the parameters because we know that we can't do all things. We just can't. That, that That's a given. But but that's the context of, of what Paul was saying it in, that he knows how to be abased and he knows how to abound. Nevertheless, verse 14 says, Nevertheless, you have done well that you shared in my distresses. In other words, they came and met his need. Here in Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5, it says, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have. Go back a little bit to Philippians chapter 4. It says, I can do all things through Christ which strengthens me. Can you go through a little trouble without complaining? Can you go through a little problem without saying, if it's not one thing, it's another? Can you go through something that is a, a serious episode and, and say, why, Lord, why now? Why me? Well, do all things that Christ is written you, like, like Paul did. Can you abound? Can you uh, be abased? Can, can you suffer through these things, but yet you still God, give, yet still give God praise? That's how, that's how what Paul is speaking of. So instead of instead of doing those things that that are contrary to Scripture, you do things that are in line with Scripture. So be content with such things as you have for he himself, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we may boldly say the Lord is my helper. I will not fear what can man do to me. So that, so now we're, we're going to deal with the pleasures of this life. So uh, when we go into uh, Mark chapter um uh, 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 13, I believe it is. Uh, no, Mark chapter four is the other place where the parable of the sower is, and Mark and uh, Luke chapter eight. Luke chapter eight is the other part where the other parable is. When you see it, you will see uh, cares, riches, and pleasures of this life in certain variations. But let's talk about the pleasures of this life as far as the scriptures is concerned. In Romans chapter 13, what are we to do with the uh, 
uh, the pleasures of this life. And do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore let us cast off the works of darkness and let us put on the armor of light. Let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry and drunkenness, not in lewdness and lust, uh, and not in strife and envy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for the for the flesh to fulfill its lust. So don't fall back into the things of the world. Do not find yourself going back into the things of the world. And, and all of a sudden, because of these things, you're found no longer uh, producing fruit. And so uh, let's let's now go into the uh, book of uh, Mark chapter uh, four, where we're going to see. Uh, of the variation of the uh, parable of, of the sower, uh, a slight variation, a very slight variation or, or um, uh, a rendering of the parable of the sower. Here in the book of Mark chapter four, beginning in verse one, and again, he began to teach by the sea and a great multitude was gathered to him so that he got into a boat and sat, it, sat in it on the sea and the whole multitude was on the land facing the sea. Then he taught them many things by parables and said to them in his teaching, listen, behold, a sower went out to sow and it happened as he sowed that some seed fell by the wayside and the birds of the air came and devoured it. Some fell on stony ground where it did not have much earth and immediately it sprang up because it had no depth of earth. But when the sun was up, it scorched. Uh, but when the sun was up, it was scorched. And because it had no root, it withered away. And some seed fell among uh, thorns, and the thorns grew up and choked it, and it yielded no crop. But other seed fell on good ground and yielded a crop that sprang up, increased and produced, some thirty-fold, some sixty, and some a hundred. And he said to them, he who has ears, let him hear. Now let me point something out. There are a lot of people that are teaching about the hundredfold return, the hundredfold return, but you never hear them talk about the parable of the soul where it speaks of some 30, some 60, and a hundredfold. So be very careful of listening to individuals that talk about the hundredfold, but they never talk about the parable of the sower. They don't even want to touch that scripture because see, that's going to reveal to them that what they're teaching is false. It is a false narrative. It is false teaching. So be very careful of individuals that teach along those lines. They always talk about the hundredfold, 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 but they never talk about it in context of the parable of the sower. So the purpose of the parables Jesus speaks of in verse 10, which we'll not get to. We'll, ver we'll go down to verse 13, the expounding of the parable with a different variation. And he said to them in verse 13 of Mark chapter four, do you not understand this parable? How then will you understand all parables? So by understanding this parable, you're going to understand every parable that Jesus speaks of. Why? Because it is a natural, natural illustration explaining a spiritual or heavenly meaning. The sower sows the word, and these are the ones by the wayside where the word is sown. When they hear, Satan comes immediately excuse me, and takes away the word that was sown in their hearts. These likewise are the ones sown on stony ground who, when they hear the word, immediately receive it with gladness, and they have no root in themselves, and so endure only for a time. Afterward, when the tribulation or persecution arises for the word's sake, immediately they stumble, same word scandal. Uh, now these are the ones sown among thorns, they are the ones who hear the word and the, and the cares of this world and uh, the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches. Now, here's the variation and the desires for other the desires for other things entering in choke the word and becomes unfruitful. But these are the ones sown on good ground those who hear the word accept it and bear fruit some 30 fold some 60 and some a hundred so that's the variation that we see in the book of mark the variation that we see in the book of luke and and so we're going to go down in, into verse 11 this time because we already know that the the same parable that jesus speaks of is pretty much word for word with a slight variation the same but in the expounding of the parable it is in some places a little different 
Verse 11 here in the book of Luke chapter 8. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. Those by the wayside are the ones who hear. Then the devil comes and take away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. But the one on the rock are those who, when they hear, receive the word with joy, and these have no root, who believe for a while and in time of temptation fall away. So so here we see now temptation factored into why people that are on the rock would fall away. What are they being tempted of? Tempted to sin against God. So so when you're dealing with a, a scandal enticed to sin, it's the same thing that Jesus is speaking of here. Look at verse 14 now. Now the ones that fell among thorns are those who, when they have heard, go out and are choked with cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. So here we see the variation or the addition, if you will, that that is given here by the Spirit of God given to Luke that gives us a well-rounded understanding or comprehension of this aspect of the parable of the sower. So we see three things here that are involved with those who are among thorns, cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. We already covered the definition of the cares, riches, and pleasures of this life to a certain extent and to a certain degree. But I want to go back into the uh, book of Romans uh, chapter 13, because when when we're dealing with the area of 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 uh, cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. When we're dealing with pleasures of this life, there is a specific word in the book of of Romans chapter uh, 13 that when we see the word uh, revile. So uh, again, what Paul says here uh, uh, in verse 13 of, of Romans chapter 13, let us walk properly as in the day, not in revelry. So when you're dealing with the word revelry here, it means a carousal as if letting loose. And we talked about this definition before, especially when you're dealing with lasciviousness, as if letting loose, cares, riches, and pleasures of this life. What are the pleasures of this life? Life. It is the Greek word komos, which is spelled K-O-M-O-S which means carousal as if letting loose. In other words, there's no boundaries. For instance, if you go to your homosexual parades with, uh, throughout the country, there are men that are that are scantily dressed, dressed in, in clothing or nude in front of children. And, and that's the kind of revelry that is out there today. And so it is it is considered as what is said in the book of Romans, chapter one, inventors of evil or inventors of evil things. And, and so we see this carousing that is going on as if letting loose. In other words, they're not holding back what 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 would be normally holding back. In other words, you put some clothes on, you have you, you cover up. But when you have individuals that are letting loose, this is the pleasures of this life that that Paul is speaking of in the book of Romans, chapter 13 and verse 11. So the further definition of this means, uh, let me, uh, 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 it says here, a nocturnal and riotous procession of half drunken and frolicsome fellows who after supper parade through the streets with torches and music in honor of Bacchus, which is a deity, an idol god, or some other deity, and sing and play before houses of male and female friends, hence used generally of feasts and drinking parties that are protracted till late at night and indulge in revelry. So we already dis- defined what revel- revelry is, and it is a carousal as if letting loose. And these are the individuals that are in the parable of the sower whose hearts are described, especially the ones that are among thorns. You see, they, they get party struck. They, they get lonesome for that kind of party that they enjoyed when they were in the world that they do not find in the true church because there are counterfeit churches that are out there. And so the parable of the sower is very important for these times. And the reason why it's important for these times is because of this particular scripture in the book of uh, First Timothy as we close. First Timothy chapter uh, 4 and verse 1, where Paul warned us by the Spirit of God by saying, Now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times some will depart from the faith. Why? Because you have individuals that come to perhaps a true church of God, 
and are on the wayside and they're and they're among stony ground and there are among thorns but there are also those that are on good ground which we'll cover extensively uh, lord willing next week but 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 those that are on the three grounds are describing the three hearts and these are the individuals that will depart from the faith why because they are giving heed or they're listening to Deceiving spirits and doctrine of demons, speaking lies and hypocrisies, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. These people will depart from Christ because of the word of God and because of a longing for the things of the world, cares, riches and pleasures of this life. That's why when those things do go. And, and when we are experiencing trouble and persecution for the word's sake, it is not the time to depart from Christ. It is the time to stay close to Christ as possible. Because the Bible says in the book of James chapter 4, and it says very clearly in James chapter 4, that, that we are not to be adulterers and adulteresses, that we are to not be a friend of the world, but be a friend of God through obedience to the scriptures, be obedient to the word of God. And, and that's what James you know tells us. Uh, James tells us to, to depart from these things because they're nothing but trouble for those who are not tight or close to the Lord. So so uh, remember what James is saying when you're having those moments when you want to depart from the faith. So 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 uh, James says this just in, in uh, 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 passing as we close. It says, uh, where do wars and fights come from among you? Do they not come from your desires for pleasure, cares, riches, pleasures of this life? Do they not come for, from your desires for pleasure that war in your members? Don't let your members war in you in such a way that you lose the battle. That's why you put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wilds, strategies, and methods of the devil. You lust and do not have. You murder and covet covetousness. Beware of covetousness. Jesus said, take heed and beware of covetousness. You murder and covet and cannot obtain. You fight in war, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive. In other words, the Lord is not going to give it to you because you ask amiss or you ask missing that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers, adulterers and adulteresses, do you not know that the friendship with the world is enmity or hostile with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. This is not the time to be an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? And so I admonish you today that you hold on to the scriptures in these times that we're living in because it's very important because of the hour that we're living in. The hour that we're living in is a very dangerous hour. Remember what Paul said in the book of uh, 2 Timothy uh, uh, chapter uh, 3 and verse 1, that, it, that uh, perilous times will come. These are the dangerous times that we're living in. And, and so these dangerous times require us to hold on to the Lord much more tighter than we're accustomed to because these days are designed to snatch you away and then what's going to happen? You end up in hell for nothing. So the parable of the sower, it's one of those parables that we that some people just don't like to listen to, but it is the parable of the sower that we must listen to in these days that will help us grow stronger and stronger in the Lord. You've been listening to Prevailing Word Ministries on the Prevailing Word Podcast channel. We're on Apple Podcast, Amazon Music, YouTube Music, Spotify, and Spreaker. Please visit our website at prevailingwordministries.net. You may follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. I'm Fred Rochester. Thanks for listening.